get aligned with your values, the kind of family that you want to form, the kind of parent that you want to be, and have these 10 touch points along the way that you take charge of so that you're not in reaction mode. Welcome to You Belong in the C-Suite podcast. You are ambitious in life and in your career, but something is missing. You want to bring more of your passion to what you do, because let's be honest, you pour a ton into your work and it needs to mean more. I'm your host, Laura Eigel. I'm a mom, wife, PhD, coach, advocate, introvert, and indoor rowing fanatic. I'm passionate about living a life that's in line with my values. We'll give you the actionable tips and tools you need to lead with your values, make a difference, and have career success. The world needs more diversity and authenticity in the top jobs at organizations. Your leadership belongs there. You belong in the C-suite. What gets you up in the morning? What drives your decisions? What do you stand for? No idea, not even sure where to start? I use my values to guide my life and career. It's the basis of how I've built boundaries for myself and stuck to them. Are you ready to dig into what matters to you? Go to thecatchgroup.com to download your free values worksheet. That's thecatchgroup.com to download your free values worksheet to get to your core values and take action on what matters most. Welcome to this week's episode of You Belong in the C-Suite. I'm really excited to dig into today's topic, parental leave, and I have the experts on the subject to dive in. When I think about my own experience of parental leave, it was really hard, and the place that I was coming from was very privileged. I'm a cisgender woman in a heterosexual relationship with my husband. After getting pregnant, I worked until my due date and then took 12 weeks off, cobbling together vacation time, parental leave, and short-term disability. My leave was at least partially paid throughout, a very privileged experience. And even then, it was really hard, especially the transition back to work. I wish that I had the tools that we are sharing today. Today, I'm pleased to welcome Dr. Amy Beacom and Sue Campbell to the show. The authors of the Parental Leave Playbook. Dr. Amy Beacom is the founder and CEO of the Center for Parental Leave Leadership, the first consultancy in the U.S. to focus exclusively on parental leave. Drawing on over 25 years of executive leadership development and coaching, Amy consults with Fortune 100 companies, international organizations, working parents, and more to inform the way our companies and our country engage with the parental leave transition. Sue Campbell is a writer, author, and coach who has worked with the Center for Parental Leave Leadership since its early days, helping to communicate the transformative impact of their core mission. Her writing, often focused on issues important to parents, has been published in many outlets, including Prevention, Good Housekeeping, Scary Mommy, and Mama Load. This episode is for everyone because there will be topics and tools to share for those that are going through a parental leave transition. But more importantly, these tools are for all leaders because if you're a leader, you will support someone going through leave. As a leader, you're probably going to be supporting multiple team members with parental leaves, sick leaves, caregiver leaves. People are human and they have transitions. So we want you to be a great leader and help them through that. 
The learnings here are applicable to everyone. Let's dig in. Well, I want to welcome you to the You Belong in the C-Suite podcast. I'm so excited to have you both as guests. Sue and Amy, welcome. Thank you so much for having us. Thank you, Laura. This is great. Well, I am just so excited about your new book that is coming out. I knew when I saw the title that I had to have you on our (laughs) podcast. So I would love if you could introduce yourselves and your story and kind of what got you here um, to talk about your new book and tell us just your stories. Sure. So my name is Dr. Amy Beacom. I usually just Amy. So I'm the founder and CEO of the Center for Parental Leave Leadership and co-author of this book, The Parental Leave Playbook. I started this work close to 15 years ago when my son, my oldest, was born. And at the time I was living in New York, going to grad school, working on my doctorate there, working as a consultant at some of the biggest brands in the world. And doing a lot of work around women's leadership and work-life balance issues and where, where, how that was holding back women's economic advancement, women's career advancement. Um, I had also helped start at that point, an executive coaching firm that was later purchased um, or acquired by a much, much, much larger coaching company. And I was completely completely blindsided by the transition to becoming a mother. And that, that experience 15 years ago when there wasn't social media, when nobody talked about parental leave and it was this sort of black hole in your life and career that wasn't discussed. I came through that experience by forming this field. I, I, I literally was sitting in this breastfeeding chair, tortured by a pump and a horrible experience that I was having and, and had this moment of going of awareness that I could take the pieces that I had been doing in coaching, in consulting, in women's leadership and development in their career path and turn it into a new field that at the time I was calling maternity coaching that didn't yet exist in the world. So I took, I changed the focus of my dissertation and my research to create that field. And I've been doing that ever since. So that is a long, long, short intro to me. (laughs) Thank you so much. And I'm Sue Campbell. Um, I'm an author and I've worked with Amy at the Center for Parental Leadership since, I don't know, it was seven or eight years ago, Amy. Yeah, early, early days, seven or eight And we met because both of our children were in first grade together. Both of our oldest kids were in first grade and Amy found out I was a writer and invited me out for coffee. And she's like, help, I need help with writing all of this content for my company. Uh, So we really hit it off with each other. We're very dear friends. And one of the things that I thought was the most brilliant that made me want to hop on board immediately was that Amy was coming at this parental leave conversation from the standpoint of We need to fix this systemically and we're going to go into the workplace to do it. This is not mom's problem to fix. It's not a parent's problem to fix. This is a systemic cultural issue and employers are the ones who, if they are well-educated, will see the need to fix it. will see the reason to fix it um, and everyone will benefit. It's not something parents can just tackle on their own and expect to have, you know, this magnificent experience. It takes the entire workplace culture. 
Could not agree more. And, and it's so interesting. And we'll get into a lot of this, but this we've seen a lot change even like, you know, even since I've been in the workforce, I remember my, so my sister has kids that are older than me and she took, I think five or six weeks off. And then she was back at work. By the time I had kids, I was taking 12, 13 weeks off. And now I'm seeing companies and this is all us right now. I'm seeing companies that have five months and I'm like, oh my goodness, that's so amazing. I'm so happy for you. And I'm so jealous as well, because I wish I had that too. Mine was three weeks. So think 15 years ago, that was three weeks. And you're not even healed from birth. I had a cesarean. There was no way. Like it, So yes, I'm with you in that excitement, seeing those longer time frames. Yeah. And, and uh, the listeners can't see me, but I'm shaking my head and just, <laughs> Um, that's, that's where we were then that wasn't not that long ago. I love that this book is out here. Um, why now, why this topic now? Now is too late for one thing, right? We should have been having this far, far earlier, but I think a couple of different things have aligned. Number one, it's actually been, uh, uh, there's had a level of bipartisan agreement about the need for parental leave and paid leave more largely for actually many years. And there have been many bills that have sort of almost made it to give the U.S. a full paid leave policy. So that has come into play. The pandemic, right, caused this major, all of the issues, foundational issues were already there, but they became absolutely impossible to ignore uh, when we went through the pandemic. And also, I think people are just becoming more savvy and aware about social justice issues in general, and this fits into that, right? And obviously, different parents have different levels of privilege, uh, but I think people are at the point where they're like, all right, this needs to change, and it's going to change because parents won't accept this anymore. And there are a lot of companies where, as the leadership becomes parents, right? We have this younger generation of leaders than we did. They get it. They have their own trials and they see all of their top talent struggling with this and they decide that they want to tackle it and make it better as well. So I think things are aligning really beautifully and, you know, we'll take it when we can get it, but sure would have been nice to happen (laughs) a long, long time ago. Yeah. There's so many women who have been working on this for generations, you know, decades and decades. FMLA, when it was passed, was meant to be a funded program. And that was a concession then that has led us down this path. So when we talk about this time, it's very complicated to get into once you start to dissect where all the impacts are and, and what works and what doesn't. And one of those, just as, as your listeners are thinking about this, is to be thinking about policy as one thing. So there's a lot of talk about policy and paid leave in our country right now. There's an infrastructure bill that that is part of that everyone should call their Congress people about right right now. But then there's practice and the practice is how it gets a policy gets put into play and supported in a culture created around that or it doesn't. And a practice can exist in the absence of a policy as well. So so there's some, some real I think fascinating ways that we can ap- approach all of this around that. So I'm just thinking, Sue, about your answer and how you know some of it's policy, some of it's pandemic, but I think really it's just generational shifts. I mean, we've been the only country without a paid leave program in the entire world, and it's an em- embarrassing disgrace. 
right? Like it's just, it's past, past time. Yeah. And I was, I was going to ask you about that. I think some American women don't even realize how, like how comparatively, how bad we have it here. If you think about Canada and just anywhere, right. (laughs) But, um, but if you're working for a global company and parental leave is different everywhere and what, what perspective is, does the book take? Is it a U.S. perspective? Do you talk a little bit about global? Yes, it is a U.S. perspective. We chose that purposely. For a little bit of background, I decided to focus my work on the parental leave timeframe within companies very strategically because I saw it as the one moment in a person's career life cycle and personal and professional life cycle where the smallest intervention could have the largest impact and the biggest ripple effects across multiple issues that we grapple with in this country. So that could be child health and wellness, infant mortality, uh, maternal mortality, uh, family divorce rates, all these things happen when that family is formed, those seeds get sown and they're able to grow one way or another, depending on how we support that time frame. So that strategy was a little early in this country. So those early days, as I was doing this, and as I was piloting this first model, evidence-based model of parental leave support and coaching, there wasn't room in the US. We just weren't there yet. So I took it to Australia where they do have policy and leave. So all of our early work, so how many years, the first four years we were working Mm -hmm. in Australia remotely through a colleague company there, training them up and getting all the data and refining everything until the US was ready. So a lot of our work is informed by the rest of the world. Obviously, they've been ahead of us in many ways. But what's been fascinating about that journey to me is how much the U.S., by not having a policy, has been able to innovate beyond ways that some of the other countries do. So a lot of the early adopter companies who did it in the absence of a forced mandated policy came up, listened to their employees, they decided what they wanted their culture to be, and they took steps to create that using their policy and their family supportive benefits. So that interplay has been really cool to watch, seeing those early companies. And thankfully, they were there because that's influencing where we are now with policy and how that, where that floor of that policy ends up. Yeah. And I think it's important to point out too, that the the book is actually a practice book. It's not a policy book. It's not going to tell us how to get paid leave across the country. And the practices in the book can apply just as well in the United States as they can in any other country as well. It's about that parent really empowering themselves throughout their leave rather than sitting there going, somebody point me to the intranet site. That's going to tell me how all this is going to work. Right. It's a way for you to really, and I know you have a value focus, Laura, get aligned with your values, the kind of family that you want to form, the kind of parent that you want to be, and have these 10 touch points along the way that you take charge of so that you're not in reaction mode. Uh, You are speaking to my heart right now. Oh my goodness. (laughs) Values-based approach. Yeah. So on our podcast, we absolutely talk about how to use your values to guide your career and your life. And this is a perfect example of that. And I love that that is content in your book too. So just to ask you, how has, how is your book and your mission connected to your own values? Like, how does that show up? It's such a great question and a hard one for me, because I think that 
every single decision I make is rooted in my values. And, and so it's impossible to piece out how they impact me, right? Like there, there's something in that. I think what's beautiful about living a values-led life is getting clear on what those values are and then figuring out how to put them into play and, and put them into action. So we talk a lot about that in the book. Like what, there's an exercise where you, I, there's a whole list of, I don't know, 200 values you get to go through and identify what your values are. And then we ask you to take it a step further and say, how do you put that into play in your life, in your family? If you have chose family time as a value, how are you going to build that into your day? Mm-hmm. If you chose success in your career, how are you going to ensure that? And really taking values from this sort of ethereal concept into the actions of your day to day. So I think this company would not exist if I didn't have a core value of doing everything within my power to make sure that started out as every woman has become every parent in this country didn't experience does not ever experience what I did 15 years ago. Like that's just my driven core value. Thank you so much for sharing. What about you, Sue? Well, it's really interesting because I think, you know, when I was first starting in my career and for a while I was working in government in a human resources department. And when we're early and up and coming, we kind of want everybody to tell us what the rule book is so we can follow it. And then we get really stressed out and we, you know, we, we start to have little breakdowns or we start to be really frustrated at work. And I think that's the piece for me. And I think for a lot of other people where we're like, okay, something's out of whack here. I am not in alignment with my values. And I didn't even realize it. I never even slowed down enough to look at what they are. So if you're in that, you know, anybody listening right now, if you're in that space where you're really frustrated and stressed out and burnt out, yes, there are absolutely systemic reasons for that. But the point of control that you have is to slow down and look at your values and then say, how can I align my life at work with those values? And it can be done, right? Your brain will tell you, if you start doing that, you're going to get fired, right? You're probably not right? There are lots of ways to do it. Um, If you are getting fired, if it's that out of alignment with your values, probably the best thing that could possibly happen to you. But I think for me, it was having my first child was a huge opportunity to stop and look at all of that in a way that I hadn't before. And then since then, it's, you know, I'm going my own way, right? I'm going my own way because that allows me to align with my values as much as possible. I love that so much. I could not agree with you more in this idea of a values aligned life. And when it is misaligned, having the language to be able to say, this is what I want and what I'm not getting. And in that Mm -hmm. conflict, you can figure out what is most important. Um, And I think um, in the women that I coach, a lot of times, sometimes their value is like, for me personally, I can speak from my experience. It was I want to achieve. I'm a career driven person, ambitious person. Achievement's one of my values. But then I became a parent. Mm-hmm. And family is not my number one value family time, this quality time. And that was a huge conflict. And the transition back to work was really hard because I wanted to be super person. It was, it was almost impossible. So I love this. Uh, I wish I had this book, obviously, when I, <laughs> before I became <laughs> a parent. But uh, now I, you know, I love that there are, there are 
are evidence-based things that you can do that you know work. So I would love to dig into some of those. First, really quickly, can we define it? And then my first question um, after that question, I have lots of questions. Um, <laughs> after that is how are, how, how is leave the parental leave experience differently for men and women? So parental leave, uh, we talk about it as the parental leave transition. And that last word is so key here that um, what we found is you, any transition, when you know it is time bound, you can break it down. You can start to wrap your head around how to deal with it, what to do. So in any type of transition, transition theory shows us that there's a, there's a beginning, there's a middle and there's an emerging, right? This sort of neutral zone in the middle. We talk about it as the three phases of leave, preparing for leave during leave and returning from leave. And what that does is it, it moves it away from what I was talking about earlier, that sort of black hole, your leave, where leave is the emphasis of, the, of, of it all. You're gone, you're this, this absence into this more action-oriented three-phased transition. And so you're preparing for your time away, you're preparing to offboard your work, you're preparing to become a parent to this new child. Then in that during, we, we talk about it sort of more colloquially as the messy middle and transition theory is the, the neutral zone or the, that's when you're getting to say goodbye to work for a little bit, put it where you want it and whatever form of contact you want. And then focus in on this new role this that you have to learn in a really short time. And it has, a, <laughs> there's a lot you have to learn, right? And become connected with your new child, your new family, because you have a new family now. And then the returning phase is often overlooked because in the early side, they do a lot of preparing for the baby's arrival. It's usually a baby, right? And, and then, oh, boom, I'm heading back to work. I haven't really thought, how am I picking my work back up? How am I transitioning an older child into daycare? How, you know, how am I doing all this? So we, we ask people through our action planning process um, to front load all of that. There's a whole template that comes with the book and you know, it has the different sections and break down what to do in each section. So that's how we think about leave. <laughs> so when you ask, I love that you ask, what is parental leave? Because so many people don't take that extra second to think about what it actually is. And then it becomes manageable. We further break down those three phases with touch points. And those happen four in the first one, three in the middle, three at the end. So you're you're just going down a roadmap. It's like, okay, I got this. These are common experiences along this journey that everyone faces in some way or another. And the rest of it is completely unique to me and my transition, right? And so that's what I'll say there. Sue, do you want to add? <laughs> I'll, I'll take the next piece of the question, which is how do men and women experience it differently, right? And in the book, we were very, very committed to making our language as inclusive as possible. So it's not just moms and dads. It's not just men and women. Whatever gender you identify with, however you form your family, whether it's surrogacy, adoption, foster, birth, whatever, you know, if you are welcoming a child, right, this book is for you, you're still going to experience this same um, sequence of touch points. Where the differences come into play are usually culturally forced, right? Um, or the reasons for them are cultural. So in our culture, typically men are not expected to take an extensive parental leave. 
again, that is changing. There are some early movers and some change makers and some men who are, you know, loud and clear that they want just as much leave as their partner. When we get into LGBTQ families as well, there are a lot of challenges because if you're, you know, two males welcoming a child and your company has a gender-based parental leave policy, that's a problem. No one is going to have time off to spend with the new child. And I think if we're talking about like our traditional quote unquote, um, which I don't like even traditional, but you're talking about cis hetero man with a, a, a wife who is pregnant and going to give birth, there's a lot of baggage that comes with that. And it's hard for men to ask for that time. They feel like they're going to be penalized for that time. Oftentimes there is a, um, a fatherhood bonus where at work you're welcoming a child and you're perceived like, oh, you're going to need a promotion, right? You're like you have a new baby now. And then the other side of that, um, a woman might get what's called a motherhood penalty and it's, oh, well, now we can't rely on you like we used to, because you're not going to be as committed as you were there. Are all of the differences in the way these are perceived are almost all cultural to my mind. Amy can think of maybe some exceptions, uh, but that's the part where everybody has a role to play to change the culture just that little bit, right? You don't have to take on changing the whole world, but um, align with your values and then ask for what you want. And that will help shift the culture just that little bit more. I love that so much. And I love that um, your book is so inclusive. As you were describing some of those cultural norms, I was just getting riled up in my mind. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> oh my goodness. There's so much there. Can you talk to me about part of your 10 step method and like, how can parents ensure that they're like the whole transition goes smoothly. What are some of those things that are evidence-based that, you know, work? Let's just start with like phase one. I think phase one lines up really beautifully. And that's kind of as much as people can retain in like one podcast setting. Sure. So <laughs> phase one, you start with your announcement, right? So the way that you're announcing that you're going to welcome a child is going to set the tone. And often women are announcing very apologetically, right? So that sets a tone for your leave. So if you can decide before you announce to anyone and in what order you're going to announce to people also makes a difference, right? We know that some workplace cultures, there's sort of a rumor mill. So it might get to your boss another way before you have a chance to tell your boss. You wanna think through all of the implications of your leave and come at it again from that perspective of you're leading it. You have nothing to apologize for everyone, whether they decide to have children or not, has some transition in their life that will take them out of the office, right? It's part of building a, a good working culture that we all support each other when that happens. So how you announce and then how you set the tone for how you're going to plan it and how you're going to make sure everybody sort of benefits in one way or another is a big opportunity, actually, that's often overlooked and is just kind of written off. Amy, did you want to add something there? Yes, the book is written for new parents, right? As a coach in your hand. But what we really wanted to do was write the book that aligns with the work and the value that this is a, is a shared process between that manager and that employee. Yeah. And, and so I, what all of our work does outside of this book and why I hope managers and HR leaders will read it and put, their, put themselves in the position, you know, understand that experience is that the manager has the mirror 
for that new parent leading their leave is that manager responding to that leave. So Mm -hmm. the way that the manager responds in that moment by saying, great, that's fantastic. We can totally do this. Or, oh my gosh, this is the worst time ever. Could you please just leave the room and give me a moment to think, right? (laughs) Those have very different experiences and set the tone for the entire three-phase transition. So everyone that Sue will go through describing in our work, we are setting up as a shared, each side is doing a part of it. Oh my gosh. I mean, it's just so important that conversation. And I can, I can remember people uh, that I would talk to, like just my friends that were like, I'm so nervous about telling my boss, like, I don't know how they're going to react. And usually they thought it was going to be a negative conversation. And that is just so real. It absolutely sets the tone. Yeah. Mm -hmm. A lot of our We do the coaching work with new parents, but we do just as much manager training, if not more, because that's where, that's where this matters. (laughs) It does. I, um, I need, I have to tell this story right here because it was so impactful for me. I was probably eight months pregnant with my second son, very, like very pregnant. And I was trying to get a new job at the same company. I was interviewing with the leader of the comp- the leader of the group. She's a VP. And basically she was basically like, hey, I'd love you in this role. And I'm like, I'm going to leave because I'm obviously pregnant. And she was <laughs> like, yeah, that's not a big deal. Like um, people yeah. have, she said, people have babies all the time. And, and you'll I never was, forget that. And yeah. I never forgot it. Yeah. And I was like, wow, I, I got the job. Um, it was a big promotion for me at the time. And I had that job for like four weeks before I left and then I was gone. (laughs) And then I came (laughs) back and it was really, it was amazing. And I I'll never forget that. Yeah. And think about the, you know, the talent that companies can retain and the morale boost and the productivity boost when an employee is supported in that way. Mm -hmm. It's huge. So the next touch point in phase one is really, really crucial. And this is when we see people really tempted to skip a lot and that's assess, right? Before you dive into making an action plan, which if you can guess is the A after that, you have to stop and slow down and do that assessment. So it's not just the values assessment that we talked about. It's also, we actually have a framework uh, called the 6S framework. Um, (laughs) Just to... Just to put in more acronyms and uh, (laughs) letters, but it's really useful. It's looking, I won't go through the whole thing, but it's looking at your situation, yourself, your uh, sabotages, right? It's all of these six S ingredients that really help you reflect piece by piece in manageable ways of what you're really looking at in your transition. And then when you're sort of armed with that knowledge about what it is you're really looking at then you can jump into your action plan phase, which is you are for each phase of that transition, you are putting a plan together. And this is an ideal plan. And the first thing we three (laughs) moms need everybody to know (laughs) is that you will never get your ideal plan. But the very act of slowing down to assess and make a plan and some contingency plans will help you respond much more flexibly in the moment when something doesn't go the way you wanted it to or the way you expected it to. And then the final uh, A of that first phase is the acknowledge the transition to parenthood. 
right? The taking time to slow down, to process the magnitude of the role and identity shift that's about to occur uh, is really, really important. And, and the to, people, go ahead. And I just want to add, and to celebrate it. Yes. So often at this time, we're just cruising through and so stressed and we got to get to the finish line and this is this is this. And so that that touch point is really also there just to to mark the, the moment, celebrate, have the party, have the fun, have the, yeah, sorry, Sue, didn't mean to interrupt. No, I just, no. Celebration is key. We have to, yes. I yes. don't do enough of it. So celebrating and also like that deep processing and thinking about like, what, what do I want this to feel like? What do I want to bring to this? What do I want to learn from this? How can I always stay in that growth mindset? Because stuff's going to get stressful, right? That you're not going to avoid stress, but how can we get to the other side of it? Um, stronger than we were before. And one of the things Amy's always saying is that this is like, the be all end all, right? The mother of all personal development opportunities that you can bring back into the workplace if you're a high achiever, right? If you want to go back in and rock it afterwards, you absolutely can because this is going to give you all sorts of perspective and new tools and skills that you didn't have before, even if this isn't your first kid. I talk a lot about, you know, as you live your values and alignment, especially in transition, to do that, you probably have to set up some new boundaries. Um, yes. and it, and it feels like your, um, your process with all of the phases is really helping people set that up. Are there specific boundaries that you think parents need to think about most in the first phase? We, we have a whole section in the book on boundaries actually, and some boundary exercises. I think what's most important for people to understand, again, it gets to language for me, mm -hmm. like but what is a boundary? We can talk about boundaries as time boundaries, physical boundaries, mental boundaries. There's all different types of boundaries. And I think we have a knee-jerk reaction when we hear the word boundary to think rigid wall you can't get through, right? Like you've got to fight against something. And, and that's not what we're talking about, nor is it helpful right? That's, I mean, there may be parts of your life where that is helpful, but when we talk about boundaries in this time, it's really about understanding which type and when they're most useful. Mm -hmm. And then also understanding your boundary management style. Um, there's a brilliant academic work-life researcher and a, a colleague of ours who, uh, her name is Ellen Kosick. She has a book called CEO of Me. And in it, she talks about integrators, cyclers, and separators of like, how do you manage your boundary? Do you, Sue and I are very different this way. She loves time blocking. She loves like having sections of, of the day really organized. I'm more of a fluid integrator. Oh, that came up. Let's do that. Or, oh, ooh, that one's fun. Let's go over there. And so understanding who you are, what works best for you, where you can modify and where really won't work for you and, and integrating that into your boundaries, I think is really important. But the other thing that we do is offer um, boundaries as an alternative to that, like seeking this perfect work-life balance. Yeah. Right. There is no perfect work-life balance. If, you know, some people end up using that as sort of a stick to beat themselves with, right. Yes. What's wrong with me that I can't get work-life balance and it's just not useful. So we just encourage people to instead think about where can I create boundaries? What kind of boundaries can I create 
that will help all of this feel more manageable and help me again, like live the type of life and have the type of experiences that I want to have that are aligned with my values. Absolutely. Could not agree more. I, I often say, I don't believe in work-life balance, but I believe in setting boundaries aligned to your values to build the life that you want. There you go. go. (laughs) Um, so as we, we've been talking a lot about the parents and I love that earlier you mentioned it's just as important. I would even say maybe more important that the leader, that a leader in a company is actually, you know, setting parents up for success. And I will say personally, while I I have two children with my husband and we went through this transition twice as a family with our children, but as a manager, as a manager, as a leader in a company, I've gone through it a lot more times because I've had a ton of parents on my teams. And so as a leader, as a parent, that's one thing for me personally, but as a leader, what could I have done better to support some of the people on my team? How do leaders create these cultures within their companies, whether or not the company has really great benefits or not, because I think there's room. I hope you would agree with that too, to support parental leave and set their team up for success. I just can't stop thinking of this story of one of my coaching clients. I think, I think we put it in the book. I'm sure I gave her a pseudonym, so I won't say her name here, but she had, she really needed to leave the office at five. Like that was a boundary that she had to set for her family. And Um, what happened for her and what does for so many people is that started to shift. You know, she started to leave at 510. She was at 515. But she had said early on to her boss, that was one of the things she fought for. I need to leave at five. And what ended up happening for her is at the, about two weeks in, she was leaving at 530. Her boss came out into the open room and said, huh, I thought you wanted to leave at 5.30 or 5. And she said, yeah, but I have all this due, da, da, da. And he's like, nope, pack up your bags. I'm packing up mine. We're walking out the door. And then the next day he came back and at five o'clock, he was all packed up, ready to go, standing at her desk to walk out the door. And he did that for three weeks Wow. to make it a point that to her and the entire team, that that was a boundary he supported and, mm. and would change his behavior for so I, I think to me, that just speaks to what a manager needs to do, right? You need to set the tone, support your employee, hear what they're asking for, make sure they have it. And when they start to slip because of the larger culture, making them feel like they have to, you hold that boundary for them when they can't. There's many more ways to answer that, but that's client just came to mind. As yeah, know. I totally love that. I, I would say if all you do, right? Uh, Managers are busy and overburdened. If all you do is come at it from the angle of how can I make this about growing everybody, including myself, right? You can't go wrong because you're going to look at it through the lens of, okay, how do I support that employee? How do I learn what I need to do and improve my skill set, coaching wise and understanding the benefit of this wise? How do we make this an opportunity to improve team communication, to train somebody up, right? Um, to it, It's just this amazing opportunity, but everyone sees it as a pain in the butt and it shouldn't be that way. It doesn't have to be that way. It is an amazing opportunity for the entire team. 
it seems like an inconvenience and like it's never happened in the history of the world before. Right. Right. <laughs> it's like, what? I'm so surprised you're thinking about it. How about you have a plan to develop your team, like you said, um, give somebody other critical experiences and hey, how about just plan for it? Because right. you you probably, as a leader, you probably don't have a fully staffed team all of the time. It's just another one of those things that if you have a talent strategy and you're continually developing your team, you can probably come up with a plan for this as well. Right. I, I, you're going to be a much happier manager if you don't try to live in conflict with reality. And the reality is people have children, they have, you know, sick family members, they have their own health conditions. You know, some companies offer sabbaticals. There are lots of reasons why employees can be out and we don't need to punish them for it on any level. I feel like I can talk to you guys about this for like another two hours. <laughs> so, so we good. could too. It's yes. so good. <laughs> yeah. um, so I am, um, I would love to encourage not just people that are going to grow their families, but really this is for all managers. This is, this book is for everybody. The parental leave playbook. You can buy this book at cplleadership.com slash book or wherever books are sold. We also want to encourage you to leave a review on Amazon as well. And I'd love um, if you could talk to me about some of the freebies that are in the book once you buy it. Yeah. So when you get the book, there are a lot of resources that we couldn't cram into the book. So we created a special webpage. Once you get the book, you can get access to it where you can get a, you know, that success system that we talked about, you can walk yourself through that assessment. You can download our um, template for action planning. It's a very comprehensive template that you can even customize even further to plan all three phases of your leave. We've got checklists for moms and dads. We've and managers got, and managers. We've got a perinatal mental health screening tool where you can do a self-assessment which we encourage you to do through all three um, levels of the transition. There's a reflection workbook. There's just all, all kinds of goodies. And then we point you to all kinds of people in the space who are doing great work to support parents who you might need somewhere along the way. And our hope, Laura, you said something a second ago that I think wraps it all up so beautifully, like this inconvenience. I'm so taken aback. You know, I'm so surprised this is happening, right? <laughs> we offer all of these things and have created all of these things because that's ridiculous, right? This is a standardized process. Most people go through at some point in their career. If they're not going through a parental leave, they're going through a different type of leave. And so all of these tools bring it out into like, oh, this is just what we do. This is how we do it. You turn this form in, you do this thing. We support you in this way. And once that happens, none of the, the unconscious bias, the conscious bias, not, all that just gets removed because it's the way it's done. Yeah. And I love that you basically, you've literally built the playbook for how to, <laughs> do, to how, how to do this. So if you are a leader, um, or if you are a human, <laughs> get this book um, because it will help you. It will help your team and it will help the people that you want to motivate and to lead to really live their life by their values and create, you know, success for their families, which is only going to be good for everybody. And although we made the book as this sort of coach in your hands, we are here too. Like some people need more. We're 
you know, reach out if you have questions or need support in any way. I love it. We are going to put your contact information in the show notes. So please connect with them. And Sue and Amy, thank you so, so much. I'm so grateful to be connected to you. And I'm just so glad that these resources are out in the world. Thank Thank you you so much, Laura. It was a wonderful conversation. I want to thank you so much for listening to the You Belong in the C-Suite podcast. If you are enjoying this content, please remember to rate and review on Apple Podcasts. By leaving a review, you are helping others find this content. We will be featuring five-star reviews on air in upcoming episodes. Editing and support for the podcast is done by S&E Podcast Management. To get more tips and tools to help you live a life guided by your values, go to thecatchgroup.com. Keep your boundaries and take care. Thank you.